So from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 29. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Well, we love good endings, don't we? Um, Love movies with good endings, um, and we think rubbish if we've got an unsatisfying end. Uh, Lots of parents and teachers and students are looking forward to an ending right now, aren't they? The end of term. I mean, what keeps you going through the relentlessness of December? Well, it's Christmas, isn't it? And January, the, the summer holidays. Um, good endings. When I was finishing up my 21 years as a radiographer, I wanted to finish well. I wanted to have a good end. And I worked it so that I didn't know when I was taking my last x-ray. That, um, and not to brag, but I went out on a high, you know? So Sarah Chapman will tell you that a lateral elbow, to get an x-ray of your elbow, is really difficult to do. You've got to get these knobbly bits exactly on top of each other, like really precisely, um, which is hard enough on a patient who can join in with what you're trying to get them to do. My last x-ray was on this bloke in resource. He dislocated his elbow, had it put back in, and they put on absolutely tons of plaster so you can barely see if he's got an arm, let alone what shape it's in or where it is. Anyway, and the doctor was saying, oh, you're not going to be able to get one on him. I said, just you watch. <laughs> it was a pearler. Absolutely brilliant. And if it had known when it began, that's how it was going to end. And all the things that I'd done in between, I'd have been happy with that. And I'd have really looked forward to it. 
And today's encouragement from Hebrews is that we do know how it's going to end for us. We're told about this sort of heavenly mountaintop party experience that actually we've already started and we'll join in fully when we die or when Jesus returns. Because the hearers of this letter, so Christians from a Jewish background facing real hardship, attempted to go back to that tangible, visible, stuff I do, uh, religious practices that they grow up with and give up on Jesus. And uh, beginning in chapter 12, the authors described living by faith in Jesus as a race, uh, a race marked out for us, one we need to keep running with perseverance. Uh, last week, we looked at how we're to see the hardship of suffering for Jesus along the way on that race as a good thing, God disciplining us, strengthening us in our race, not slowing us down. Uh, and we saw how we're to egg each other on as we run that race together. And in the end of chapter 12 here, he's encouraging his readers, and we're being encouraged by God, by comparing and contrasting two mountains. So two meetings of God with his people. The old covenant meeting of Mount Sinai, where God originally appeared to his people and made them a nation, gave them the Ten Commandments, all of that. And the new covenant, heavenly mountaintop city, the place Christians are citizens of now and where we'll end up. Because knowing what happens at the end of the race, knowing how good all of that is and the certainty of knowing we'll get there, well, that encourages us to keep running now. So we're going to compare and contrast those. Just three parts to today's talk. There's a scary beginning, a better end, and I need to... RSVP. Scary beginning, better end, RSVP. Okay, first up then, scary beginning. Our author reminds our readers that before they had Jesus, approaching God was terrifying. Before they had Jesus, approaching God was terrifying. So it reminds them of this beginning at Mount Sinai. Verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. Now, you can read the full account of that in Exodus 19, Exodus 19, and then Moses reminiscing about it in Deuteronomy 9. See, God had rescued his people from Egypt, and God had brought them through to the foot of Mount Sinai to make this covenant, this relationship deal with them. They will be his chosen nation and enjoy all the blessings that bring. That brings. But God turning up, in a tangible, personal way like this, it was terrifying. So it's a bit like Christmas. I love Christmas. I love all the traditions that we've built up around celebrating Jesus' incarnation. I love Christmas until it gets up close. And then the closer it gets, the more you realize how utterly unprepared you are for Christmas, don't you? 
Well, for those Israelites, the closer they were to God's pure and holy presence, the more they realized just how evil their own sin is, just how unworthy we are of having anything to do with God, let alone get close to him. So at Sinai, their side of the deal, this relationship covenant, if you like, was the Ten Commandments. And this mountaintop experience sums up what life under the law was like. God loving and caring for his people in a way that they didn't deserve. God graciously being present in a tangible, visible way with them, which was reassuring, but also terrifying because of the vast incompatibility of sinful, evil-doing humanity and God's pure goodness and holiness. So the law was like a pool fence. Got a slide next to it. Law was like a pool fence. You could see the goodness. You can see the goodness of and joy of what's behind the fence. But the fence made you make sure that you're safe and ready before getting close to the danger. Yeah, you can take her off now. That's right. See, God is so purely good, purely love, that even just this snippet of his direct presence on that mountaintop or in this holy of holies in the tabernacle later needed lots of safety measures in place for approaching him. This scary beginning is good and helpful for us, isn't it, to see God like this, to make sure we don't try and domesticate him. See, seeing these, these aspects of his awesome majesty, seeing his deep life and death concern for holiness, well, helps us appreciate all the more just how far Jesus has brought us, just how serious our sin is, just how much God has loved us to come up with the plan that he did to rescue us from it. So as I say, the author wants us to contrast that first scary, tangible, visible beginning with our better end, our better end, second point. We have come to a mountain, a different mountain, where we can be in direct contact with God, enjoying the blessings that brings now, knowing that we'll enjoy them fully when our race is run. So first, so this mountain and who's there is described for us. So first, it's the place that is, is described in three ways. So verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion. So in the Old Testament, broadly speaking, that's the place where the Messiah will rule from in the new age. You come, from, you come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. So the eternal city where God will gather his people. The heavenly Jerusalem. So that's what this city is named in Revelation. So a little bit of Revelation 21 here. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So that's the place, this different mountain we've come to. And verse 22, who is there? You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. So the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. Uh, I've noticed in Australia, it's not, they're not such a big thing. But in, Chris, in England, the works Christmas do, or the Christmas show, I think you call them here, is a really big deal. You know, in my work, we all wore uniform at work. So when people came out to, to a party, all dressed up, you know, busting moves on the dance floor, they're nearly unrecognizable. It was a really fun, festive gathering. Well, we've come to a mountain and there's angels there. It's not just that there's angels there. These angels are partying. So joyful assembly there is a really kind of dowdy, play it down translation of festal gathering. The kind of word that was reserved for the party of the year. So this mountain has angels in full party mode. Who else will be there? The church, the firstborn. So every Christian there ever has been or ever will be. And that's why all the funerals I've helped do as a pastor, I've been sad, but not heartbroken. Because they've all been for Christians. And I know that this is where I'll see them next. I'll get to see my mum again. I don't think she'd be dancing. She'd probably be offering people food and things like that, if I don't know. But that's not even the best of it. Verse 23. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So we will be not at the foot of the mountain, but in the mountain city with God, our judge, directly. And we'll be okay. Well, not just okay, we'll be welcomed on the VIP list, brought in there by our brother Jesus. He's saying, there with me. All this is possible because of what Jesus' blood, what his death on the cross achieves. See, murdered Abel's blood cried out, guilty, justice. Jesus' blood has paid for that guilt. And so Jesus' blood cries out, forgiven. See, in that scary beginning, there were right to be scared at Mount Sinai. All of us, in our own way, have turned our hearts against God, the righteous, fair, perfect judge of all. And God is scary because he's holy. He's purely good. And if you're trying to save yourself, or if you're just ignoring the rift between you and God, well, then you should be scared. Sin is a deadly problem. But the good news is, in Jesus, God has done everything needed to get us into this heavenly party. All we have to do is believe and accept the invitation.
Did you know it's in verse 22, though, the past tense, you have come. When? When did we come to this this great-sounding party? I mean, I've been to some good parties, but not like this one. Well, lots of times the New Testament talks about things that are spiritually, by faith, true and certain for us now, that we'll only experience fully when Jesus returns. And they're true for us now because we are spiritually united with Christ when we put our trust and faith in him. So there's a couple of examples of this. Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Uh, Verse 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So in other words, because we're united with Jesus, what happens to him happens to us. His story becomes our story. That's a great comfort, isn't it? You know, if you keep running your race, if you just keep holding on to Jesus, trusting him, getting rid of anything that might stop you doing that, your life is treated as as good as his. Same ideas in Ephesians 2, 4 to 6. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It has been by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And when Jesus returns, we'll experience all this fully, physically, as our spirits are reunited with our resurrection bodies. Our resurrection bodies are somehow recognizably us, but perfectly suited to being in God's pure, direct presence uh, and will last for eternity. In the meantime, before God brings that city to us, well, we live and we bear witness in this old city, don't we? So we can enjoy the great comforts of knowing we're citizens of the heavenly city, And we are that now, and that's where we'll end our race. But for now, we have to live in tension, running our race in a city that, on the whole, is really cheesed off that a marathon's been put on and has closed all the roads. Living in tension and running a race in a city that is opposed to God in his ways, even whilst denying his existence. And so we don't expect it to be easy. We expect God to use our hardship to grow us as heavenly city dwellers. And we encourage one another as fellow citizens of heaven. We live in this tension, but we don't give up on this old city. To illustrate, when it came to the Brexit vote in the UK, we were surprised to discover that even as Australian citizens now, we still got to meddle in foreign affairs. We could still vote. In fact, We can vote in UK elections for 15 years after leaving the UK. And even that limit, the government there is trying to get rid of. So we can still have an influence on a place that we don't live anymore, that we're not truly part of. We're not running the same race as our not-yet-believing friends, neighbours, family, colleagues. They're running a different race. But we're not called to withdraw and set up 
cozy Christian communes, feeling good about ourselves and bad about the world out there and them. We're called as Christ Church to be in amongst it, to be sharing the good news about him, having his compassion for the lost. To meddle in the affairs of the world in any way that promotes the gospel. Because think about it, if somebody hadn't done that for us, well, we'd be just as lost, wouldn't we? So there's our contrast. Under the old covenant, approaching God in a limited way was possible by his grace, but fraught with danger. Reassuring in how visible and tangible it was, but also terrifying in how visible and tangible it was. Now, thanks to Jesus, we're made citizens of this heavenly home and can approach God directly with confidence. So how should we respond? How should we RSVP? Our last heading, third part, RSVP. Listen to what God has to say and don't refuse or give up your invitation to this perfect party. Listen to what God has to say and don't refuse or give up your invitation to this perfect party. Verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. So in that scary beginning, they had great promises and great warnings on earth. If they didn't escape God's judgment, if they turned away, how much more will we, now, now that all the mystery's gone, now that we know the reality that the Lord pointed to, now we know in full God's plan to save us through Jesus, knowing that all we need to do is accept Jesus' invitation. How much more will we be judged if we now turn from him? Verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So it's like a big sieve, isn't it? So when God spoke back then, the earth shook. In the end, God will shake everything to sieve out once and for all sin and evil. All that will be left standing is God's kingdom. So this is a warning and it's a comfort. It's a warning not to invest your life in dust that's just going to fall through the sieve. So for the original hearers, their old, tangible, visible, religious ways that they'd grown up with were tempting to go back to. For us, our old life, our old ways, the world's ways can seem so enticing, so much easier, so much pleasurable, so much more popular. And the world's ways can be much easier, much happier for a while, for this age, but in the final shakedown, 
they won't last. So a warning and a comfort. Living for Jesus is living in a way that brings you joy that's undented by circumstances now. But living for Jesus brings you treasure that will last eternally. So what do we do with all this now? What does it look like to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe? Well, it looks like what we saw at the start of chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And how do we keep persevering following Jesus in a world and in relationships that can make that really difficult? Verse 25 again. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. See, God doesn't leave us on our own. He speaks to us through his word in the Bible, bringing it alive to us in the depths of who we are by his spirit. And we're so bombarded with messages to stop running, to give up on our race. We need to be disciplined in making sure that we stop to listen to what God has to say. Because the world's gospel, the world's got lots of gospels, and lots of good news, things that it thinks are good news. But really, they're terrible, and they never deliver. So the world's got terrible gospel but it's really good at making disciples, really good at training, really good at outreach, actually. Always trying to shape and mold us, always bombarding us with messages, always training us up in its own ways. Sometimes, obviously, sometimes subtly. Okay, to illustrate the point, let's do a little quiz. See if you can shout back to me the next line of each of these songs, all right? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire... Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. No? Oh, come on. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Okay, I didn't get that one. All right. Let's try another one. All right, the Christmas songs, just to get your head in the zone now, okay? Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. Since we've no place to go. Oh, that's better. You get on to it now. Good. See if you know this one. I just want you for my own, more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. Well done. Well done. Now, you might well have gone out of your way to not listen to those songs, especially this time of year. Yet they seep in, don't they? Well, it makes you wonder. What else of all the visible, tangible, physical goodies that the world promises is seeping in? Is anything turning our heads from the grace set before us? See, much of the blessing that we enjoy and that we will enjoy in the future is for now, is invisible. It's by faith, and that means we can only see it by hearing and believing God's word about it, receiving it by faith. So, Make sure you're listening. A good thing for all of us to ask ourselves is, when did I last read the Bible 
in such a way that I let it challenge me. And I went away knowing I needed to change something. I went away and put it into practice. And I'm different now because I read it. When did that last happen? We need to listen to God who speaks. But let's not be all mopey about this. Verse 28 says, Be thankful and worship with reverence and awe. You know, we're getting ready for a heavenly party, not for a wake. You know, being in awe surely must, surely must at least mean saying, Wow, every so often. Now, we're going to sing a carol at the end of the service, so I know you'll know it. And it invites us to join in with the joy of those party-hard angels as they announce Jesus' birth. Uh, singing's only one small way that we worship, but it's a good one that we, because we can, something we can do collectively together. Uh, and so just before morning tea, worshipping with reverence and awe is going to look like all of us Good singers, bad singers, singing Hark the Herald Angels from the heart. See, our vision for this church is to make and grow disciples of Jesus. To make disciples. To help people know the trouble trouble they're in with God, who is rightly a consuming fire. But also to know that in Jesus he has come... uh, it's coming grace so that he can welcome us into perfect loving relationship with him, into that new city. To make disciples and to grow disciples, to support each other in running the race in a world with countless false diversions and people booing from the sidelines all along the way. To help each other become what we already are in Christ made perfect and holy, so that God's work in us glorifies him. To help each other know it's worth all the hardship because we're building, what we're building together will last forever. So listen to God who speaks. Don't refuse him. Persevere. Be thankful. Worship him with reverence and awe. And to finish, I'm going to get my uh, inner Anglican on. Don't worry. uh, This is a prayer for the first Sunday in Advent, which I don't think is today. So we're not too Anglican. But it's a really good prayer. Advent in a church calendar is about remembering Jesus coming first, being born, being incarnate, and looking forward to his return. And this prayer is good for what we just looked at, I think. Almighty God, Give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came among us in great humility, that on the last day when he comes again in his glorious majesty to judge living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.